your first time driving. Oh my gosh, what a traumatic experience, right? Dear Lord, I mean, some of us took to drinking after that. And you know you're not supposed to drink and drive, especially under... In fact, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask the lights to come up, and I'm going to ask y'all if you would mind to take about 30 seconds and find somebody you don't know and talk about your first driving experience and how you felt. So you got about 30 seconds. Go ahead and do that now. Anybody meet a new friend? All right, sweet. Let, let me tell you about this. How many of y'all, quick question, it was a traumatic experience, your first driving experience? All right. How many of you, you were like, it was on like Donkey Kong. I was ready. Really? Denial ain't just a, a river in Egypt. I'm just saying. Let me tell you about my experience. Man, I tell you, I, when I turned 15, when you can get a learner's permit, I did not. Because I knew I wasn't ready. There was something about that responsibility that just scared me to death. In fact, I didn't even get behind the wheel of a car to start taking driver's tests until I was like late in, in like my seven, when I was 17 years old. Because I knew I wasn't ready. Big responsibility. A lot of my friends uh, growing up here at Clarksville High, a lot of my friends had, had died with car wrecks. And there was just something about it. I knew I wasn't ready. I knew I wasn't ready, but when I when finally at seventeen, my parents said, "You've got to you got to get a license." And I'm like, "Ah!" Oh. So what they did is they took me. Anybody else? They took me, and I learned how to drive my first vehicle in a cemetery. Anyone else? Anyone? A couple people. Me and you. All right, that's cool. And I guess their thinking was I couldn't kill anybody at a cemetery. I'm just saying. So I learned how to drive um, a, a stick, and that's another thing. My dad says, boy, I, no son of mine is not going to grow up not driving a stick. So my very first vehicle wasn't even a stick, but I learned to drive on a stick. And man, just and there's something about it, you know, just trying to do the clutch and the gas and get it in first and looking left and right and rear view mirrors and, and trying to parallel park, dear Jesus, Right? There was something about it that it was just, when you're a teenager, it's a traumatic experience because you know you don't know enough. You know you don't know enough, and you know you have the power to be able to literally to affect people's lives in a negative way. I mean, you can make some stupid decisions. It was a lot to take in, trying to learn, and I knew I didn't have it all together. Now, I couldn't even imagine how my parents felt. 
In fact, how many of y'all, you're a parent and your child is driving? Anybody else close to Jesus? Right? Because you're talking to Jesus, aren't you? I I got a 14-year-old who's talking smack about driving next year. Right? And I'm already talking to Jesus a lot. You thought your pastor was spiritual now. Wait till my son gets a driver's license. All right? There's going to be knee pads on here where I'm going to be praying. Because there's something about you're like, oh my gosh, please don't kill anybody. Right? There's just something. And you know, they may think they have it all figured out. But you know they don't know enough. And they don't have all of the information. And, and you're struggling with handing the keys of the car over to them because it's a scary, scary, scary time. Let me tell you another thing of how you, I know you didn't learn how to drive a car. You just didn't learn how to drive a car by reading a book. You didn't get a driver's manual and say, hmm, okay, and just read the book and say, okay, I'm good to go, having never, ever gotten behind the wheel of a car. There's something about... There's a lot of things in life that, you know what, you can read all about it all you want to, but you're going to have to actually drive the car in order for you to be able to figure out how to do it. We call it OJT, on-the-job training. There's some things, I can give you a book about a thousand different things, and you can read it all you want to, but until you start doing it, you're never, ever going to feel like you have got a handle it. A handle on it. And the Army knows this. In fact, one of my best friends in the world, First Sergeant Mike Byer, he taught me something about last year. I don't know if you know this. I've never been in the Army. Just saying. You may have seen one of my movies. I was John Candy in Stripes. Just saying. But but my friend, uh, Mike Byer, he says, you know, it's left seat, right seat, ride. How many of y'all have heard that? All right, so, uh, all you army guys, hua. All right, left seat, right seat, ride, right? And the whole premise behind this is that you watch somebody else do the job, and then you move in, and then you start doing the job while they watching you, while they're watching you, and then you just start doing it. Left seat, right seat, ride. There's something about this that you learn watching somebody else do it, and then you start doing it, and they start giving you tips. Yeah, you can do it this way better. And then you just start doing it. And today, we're going to be, look, be looking at a time when Jesus handed over the keys of his ministry to a group of guys. I mean, he was, I mean, you think about this. Jesus, he had the most important mission a man ever had on earth, ever. It was Jesus' mission to literally change the world. In fact, he did it in so many different ways. He was only here for 33 years, and yet it was during this 33 years, we're 2,000 years afterwards, and we're still talking about this, that Jesus came in, and he took the world, and he flipped it upside down, and he changed everything. Even his birth changed how we look at time and how we look at calendars. I mean, his job was to start this organization. His startup organization was called the church. And his mission literally was to just do some amazing things and to have people come to know him. And it was just, if you think about how much the church and Christianity has changed the world. And I know some of you are like, it's changed the world for the worse. And you might be right. But there are a lot of things that the church and Christianity has done to change for the positive. In fact, before the church, we didn't have regular education. And the church is the, has actually brought education and actually schools, which is really cool. Before the church, we didn't have hospitals. 
But yet it was the church that helped for the sick and the wounded. I mean, the church has changed and permeated so much of our culture that Jesus came and he was on a very specific mission. If you were to ask him, I'm here to change the world, to change the course of history. And what's amazing about this is that since then, millions of people have believed in his message. Millions of people have become part of the church, but yet very early on in his ministry, in Jesus' ministry, he decided, I got a good idea. I'm going to give the keys of my ministry and my mission in this movement to 12 guys who know nothing about ministry, who know nothing about mission, and they couldn't move themselves if they tried. I mean, you think about this, and we're going to look at this, that he didn't hand it all over to a bunch of seminary-trained pastors, but he handed it over to a bunch of uneducated fishermen and tax collectors, and some of them were just a little bit crazy. So, the question I want to wrestle with today is this, why in the world would Jesus hand over the keys of his ministry to these this entire movement to these group of guys. Why would he do that? Doesn't that seem a little bit irresponsible? I mean, we we kind of shudder giving our keys over to our 15-year-old, but yet Jesus says, I'm going to give you power and authority to change the world, to be a part of my mission. Why in the world would he do that? Why would he give responsibility to these guys? So if you got your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 9. Verse 35 is where we're going to be looking at today. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. If you're struggling to figure out where Matthew's at, Matthew is the very first book of the New Testament. Uh, we give away Bibles here for free. You can also go on version and you can hit the live events. And if you don't have a phone or a Bible, if you can read, it's up on the screen. So here we go. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. And we're going to be looking at Jesus' ministry in these first two verses. Jesus is just pretty much him. He's hanging out, and he's doing some ministry. Here's what he does. Jesus traveled through all of the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing what? Good news about the kingdom. So he's talking, all right? He's announcing, he's telling, he's teaching. Look at what it says. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. Now let's talk a little bit about that. Just leave that up there if you would. What did Jesus' ministry consist of? Well, first, he went and he traveled. He actually went and he went to a lot of these different communities, a lot of these small towns, big towns, and he went into that area, and he says he taught in the synagogue. Now, let me tell you what a little bit about this, if you have no church background or maybe you don't know what that is. A synagogue is kind of like a Jewish church. You know how we're having church here, and there's a group of people here, and there's a talking head, right? Kind of like Charlie Brown's, you know, parents. Wah, 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 wah. Some of you, you're asleep right now, all right? And I'm going to hop up. I'm just saying. All right. Anyway, so he's teaching in the synagogue. They actually didn't do church services on Sunday. They did them on Saturday. So Jesus would go to these synagogues, and he would open up. The, uh, these scrolls, the Bible, in fact, it, sa- it says this in his own hometown, in his synagogue of Nazareth, he opened up the scroll of Isaiah and he started reading. So he would teach the good news about the kingdom. Not only did he teach, though, he met people's physical needs. He met their physical needs. He healed diseases and illnesses of every kind. Now, quick question. If you knew somebody could heal your disease or your problem that you're having, would you go and talk to them? Let me see your hands. 
Thank you. All right, if you knew somebody could like, had the, I mean, had the cure for whatever you're, a, a bunion, all right, uh, maybe you got scabies, m- maybe you got uh, uh, rickets, I don't know, I'm just, I'm thinking of stuff out there, I'm going to be quiet because I'm going to throw out something and it ain't going to be pretty, all right, uh, whatever you've got, all right, and, and you, and, I mean, maybe your mom and dad struggling with something. Do you think you would take them to go see Jesus? The answer? Yes. Would you take your friends to go? Would you tell them, hey, listen, you got this problem you're not seeing well. Hey, have you went to go see Jesus? All right? Would you tell your enemies? First service, everybody's like, nope. They own their own, Jack. Hey, right? Just saying. Sorry, my inner size coming out. Just saying. All right, here's the thing, this. Here's the thing about this. Is that people flock to Jesus Why? Because of what Jesus could do for them. I mean, you imagine, people were hanging out with Jesus. They would show up at 7, 8 o'clock in the morning. Hey, Jesus, listen, I got this thing. Let me show it to you. And Jesus, oh, just just keep your pants on. You're healed. Move on, right? I I mean, imagine all of the weird stuff people would come up to Jesus about. I mean, think about this, right? I mean, and people would be coming day after day, month after month, from sunup to sundown, he's ministering to people. He's teaching, he's talking, about, and he's healing. I mean, how exhausted that would be. I mean, how exhausted, just, just people, 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 always wanting something from you. And after a while, it just gets, oh, Right? That's what Jesus is feeling, verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had, look at this, he had what? Compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. Let me just stop right here. Do you know what Jesus, when he thinks of you, you know what he feels? He feels compassion. Jesus had a heart for people. And even though people were coming, coming, and taking and taking, hey, can you do this, do this, do this, and hey, my, my grandfather's aunt's uncle's sister's brother's cousin has this bunion, and Jesus is like, okay, you know. I mean, even though he, they were kind of coming, he had a heart for people. He feels compassion. And, but here's the problem. He knows the need is greater than even he can meet. Because even though he is Jesus, he's still one person. I mean, he looks at, and all of these crowds come in day after day, hour after hour, and it just starts getting tiring, and he starts getting exhausted. He's saying, this is, there's a lot of, it's a lot of, there's a lot of needs. But that's what it says in verse 37. He said this to his disciples. The harvest is what? Great, but the workers are few. Okay, that's the fact. All right, the facts are big need, little help. Right? So what is Jesus going to do? So pray to the Lord, who is in charge of the harvest, and ask him to send more workers into the fields. All right, keep that up if you would. The harvest is great. Translation, there is a huge need. Huge need. A lot of people have needs. A lot of people come in wanting stuff. But look at this. The fact is the workers are few. Translation, Jesus is saying, I'm the only one out here. All right? There's a huge need that even I can't, because I am one person, I can't be at all place at all times, all right? Because I am, I'm 100% God, yet I'm 100% man. I am confined to this body. Big needs, little stuff. So what does Jesus do 
with this problem he has. Big, big need, little help. What does he do? So pray. I love that. I love that. Jesus prays, and then we're going to see in the next verse, he acts. He talks to God about the problem, and then he goes and he does something about the problem. I love that because that's, many of us don't do that, do we? When we have a problem, we usually act. All right? Well, okay, I got this need, and here's what I'm going to do about it. And most of us, we don't pray. The only time when we pray is when we've already acted, and it didn't, it kind of acted up, right? And we're like, oh, dear Jesus, you've got to get me out of this mess, right? All right? And that's when we start praying. Jesus gives, and some of, some of you are like this, you know what? I'm not going to act, I'm just going to pray. Dear Jesus, help me get a job. Help me get a job. And Jesus is saying, listen, I'll help you, but you've got to put, you've you got to get your resume together. You've got to go out. Right? So there's something about there. Jesus prays and he acts. And there's a principle here. We need to pray like it all depends upon God and act like it all depends upon us. He prays and he does. And what does he do exactly? Chapter 10, verse 1. He makes it bigger than himself. Jesus sees the need. He prays about the need. And then he hands the keys of his ministry over to a group of guys he, he hands the keys of his ministry and trusts these guys with people we wouldn't even trust our children with today. All right? Look what it says, chapter 10, verse 1. Jesus called his 12 disciples together, and look what he does. He gave them authority to cast out evil spirits and to heal every kind of disease and illness. And then he gives us the names. This is what he says. Here are the names of the 12 apostles or disciples. First, Simon who's also called Peter, and then Andrew, which is Peter's brother. Next one, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, James's brother. Let me tell you a little bit about them. They were sons of Zebedee, and their nickname was Sons of Thunder. Now, let me tell you, you don't get the nickname Sons of Thunder by being just regular Sunday school kids who's always happy that never gets dirty. If I could paraphrase the Sons of Thunder, these guys were hellraisers. Seriously. I mean, these are the people that, I mean, made Sunday school teachers go get counseling afterwards. Seriously. All right? So James and John and Peter and Andrew, their occupation were fishermen. That's important to note here in a sec. Then you have Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas. Anybody know Thomas's nickname? The Doubter, Doubting Thomas. How many of y'all would like that for the rest of eternity? Oh, you're the Doubter when we get up to heaven. All right, Matthew, by the way, what was his occupation? How many of y'all like taxes? No one. Do you think this guy had any friends? I don't think so. All right, Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot. Stop right there. What a zealot was, was somebody who hated Rome so much that they would go out and they would kill Romans. All right, we call people like that today terrorist. I'm serious. I'm serious. But yet this guy who had a past, who had some weird beliefs, all this stuff, Jesus said, you know what? I believe in you. Look at this. Simon the Zealot, Judas Iscariot. We all know about him. In fact, his nickname, one who later betrayed him. There it is. Now, I want to stop right here. The church has made these 12 guys into superheroes and saints. But in reality, these guys were ragtag leftovers. Let me explain what I mean by that. Back in that culture, 
Every Jewish boy was trained and educated, every one of them, to be a preacher. We called them, or they called them rabbis, or spiritual teachers. And here's what they would do. is At the age of five, age of six, all of the Jewish boys would go, and they would go into a school, and where they would learn the, and memorize the first five books of the Bible. Did, I, did you hear me say memorize? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. If I asked y'all to spell Leviticus, most of y'all couldn't do it. Numbers and Deuteronomy. Don't even ask me how to spell that one, okay? So they would memorize the first five books of the Bible. And if they couldn't memorize them, those kids wouldn't make the cut, and they would have to go home back to mom and daddy, and they would learn the trade of what kind of what, they, uh, what mom and dad used to do for a living. All right, if they did make the cut, they would move on to the next round of schooling where they literally had to memorize the rest of the Old Testament. That's 39 books memorized. All right, they would say, Psalm 119, 103, say it. And you would go, uh, sorry, you're out of here, right? And if you, if you couldn't make the cut, they sent you home and your parents taught you the family trade. If your dad was a, a sandal maker, then you became a sandal maker. If your uh, mom and dad were pottery makers, then you were throwing pottery for the rest of your life, right? So, and if you were able to memorize the, the next, the 39 books, you went on to kind of like a Jewish seminary. And if you graduated that, you became a rabbi. Now that's huge because do you want to know how many of these 12 that Jesus picked? were professional rabbis and spiritual seminary trained people? Zilcho. That's Greek for none of them. Okay? I mean, none of these guys had what it takes to be a preacher. None of these guys made the cut. They were the leftovers. James, John, Peter, and Andrew didn't make the cut. They had a rabbi said, you know what? You don't have what it takes to be a preacher. You're not preacher material. You need to go back and start fishing. And Matthew was trained. And somebody looked up to Matthew and said, you know what? You're not good at any of this. And you've got a past. And quite frankly, you're never going to amount to much. This, this whole religious thing just isn't for you. And every one of these 12 disciples, none of them made the cut. Zero. Now, why I'm, I'm, I'm dwelling on that is all of these guys went back and they learned the family trade and the family b- business. And when we ask the question, why would Jesus hand over the, his, the keys of his ministry? To, you know, why would he do that? Number one is the need was great. He couldn't do it all himself. But the answer, the second question, why would he hand it over to these guys, these 12? Here's the answer. Jesus saw in these men something that the religious people of that day did not see in them. Jesus saw in these men something that they didn't even see in themselves. Jesus saw the potential of Peter and John and Simon and Thaddeus and Bartholomew, Jesus saw the potential that you, with my help, you could do this. 
you can help me change the world. And even though you've got a past, even though you've got hang-ups, even though you don't have what it takes in, you know, what a lot of people say you ain't got what it takes, even though you may not have enough knowledge, you've not done all the memorization, it doesn't matter. Because you have the opportunity to change the world. And he picked these 12 guys. Man, I love that. Verse 5. Jesus says this. Jesus sent out the 12 apostles with these instructions. Here's what he says. Go and announce to them that the kingdom of heaven is what? Near. And then this is what Jesus tells them to do. (laughs) Heal the sick, raise the dead, cure those with leprosy, cast out demons. Any questions? Seriously. If I was one of those guys, I'm like, uh, how do I raise dead people? I see dead people, but I don't know how to raise dead people. What in the world? Really? I got a resume. My resume is cleaning fish. I don't think I'm qualified. Jesus says, don't matter about that. You're not qualified. But here's what I want you to do. And this is what's so cool about this. Jesus asked them to do what he had been doing. And because they had watched Jesus and they observed Jesus, Jesus was going, you know what, the whole... You, you don't know this yet, but the left seat, right seat ride, y- y'all been doing that. You've been watching me, and you've been observing me. Now I'm asking you to do what you've seen me do over the past few months. And then Jesus says, go on. Give as freely as you received. Isn't that something? And then Jesus says something. Very, if that's not unusual enough, go, go, just go raise the dead. Look at what it says in verses 9 and 10. I mean, what strange commandment. Jesus says, by the way, verses 9, it says this. Don't take any money belts, no gold or silver or even copper coins. Don't carry a traveler's bag with a change of clothes and sandals or even a walking stick. You You know that money? You don't need it. Oh, and you don't even take a change of clothes. I mean, what in the what, what is Jesus thinking? I mean, how many of y'all are type A people? Let me see you. All right, you were like, give me a list, give me an Excel spreadsheet, and I'm going to say, I'm, I'm, I, and I got to have this, 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 and this. And Jesus is going, nope, we don't need your Excel spreadsheet, and we, you don't need to take that. Don't take the change of clothes. Oh, and Matthew, you got a little bit too much money. Where'd you get all that money? T- leave that at home. Why is? Didn't that seem a tad irresponsible? Especially if you're like, hey, i got to be prepared. What was, why was Jesus saying, I don't want you to take, look at the don't, 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 don't take any of this stuff with you. What is he trying to teach them? And here's what it was. Jesus wanted to teach them a lesson. This was going to be a faith builder. You're not going to have enough money, but you know what? Somebody is going to give you enough money. You're not going to have any money to buy any food, which means if you're going to eat, you're going to be trusting in God. And this is going to be a faith builder for you. You know what? You don't have enough change of clothes. And when your sandals get worn out, you're going to have to be dependent upon God through other people to meet your needs. The point, this is so cool. Jesus wanted this to be a faith builder for them. Now, draw back. The past six weeks here at One Church, we've been in this series, there's an app for that, where we've looked at specific things that God uses to grow our faith. And you know what? Up to this point, we've talked about um, uh, biblical teaching. 
We've talked about relationships. We've talked about, um, we've talked about all kinds of different stuff, right? I mean, all of this stuff that God uses, I mean, reading your Bible every day. That's huge. All of this. But today, where we're landing on is serving. Everybody say that. Can you do that? Serving. Because what we see in this story is that Jesus, built, he built the faith of these 12 guys who knew they couldn't raise people from the dead, who knew they didn't have enough money and doesn't know where their next meal is going to come from, and Jesus is going to be saying, watch this. Your faith, it's real small here. It's getting ready to get really big. And how I'm gonna, what I'm going to use to grow your faith is I'm going to push you outside of your comfort zone and you are going to serve. You are going to serve. That serving, even though you don't think you've got what it takes, even though you don't know enough, even though you may have not made the cut, even though you may have messed up before, that serving is the most catalytic experience that God uses to grow your faith. I got this... I love this in Matthew 28, 20. It says this, Jesus said this, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to, what does it say? Serve. It's exactly right. That's huge. Let me tell you, our big idea today where we're going to land today is this. There is a direct connection between your faith and your service. There is a direct connection between your faith and your service. One of the things that kind of spawned this um, sermon series is I read a book last year called Move. And it's written by Willow Creek. And the whole premise of it is they surveyed a thousand different churches, churches. And they tried figuring out what the churches were doing that were causing people to grow their faith. It's a great book. In fact, many of you participated in this study over this past three or four weeks. If you took the spiritual growth study that we had online and it was a long, I mean, how many of y'all, wasn't that long? It was really long, right? But one of the things that we realized, and, and this is, I'm going to read directly from this book, Move. It says this. This is what it says. The interestingly, serving appears to be even more significant to spiritual growth and development than small groups. The implications for church leaders is that we must encourage people to serve in any capacity in whatever valid opportunities their gifts and interests Lead them to go. Serving should be a high priority for our churches since such experiences appear to be more conducive to spiritual growth than even our blockbuster weekend services. What's amazing about this study is they found this. Personally, if you want to grow your faith, the one thing you can do personally, take the church out of it, read your Bible every day. How many of y'all been doing that? Good. So, man, I'm so proud of you guys. That's awesome. All right? That is the one thing you could be doing Monday through Saturday. But listen to this. As a church, the thing that we can do to help grow your faith spiritually, more than having Josh up on stage singing, more than me up here preaching, more than any of this, is having you serve. Because there's something about it when you realize, I don't think I could do this. I don't think I know, I don't think I have what it takes. I don't know what to say. I mean, what if they ask that question, right? I mean, I don't, and God's like, listen, it isn't comfortable, but I'm here to grow your faith. I want to call up two of my good friends up on stage, Darcy Davis and Dave Thompson. Will y'all please welcome Darcy and Dave? (laughs) 
these guys really have uh, really do epitomize what we're talking about today, how God grows people's faith. So uh, we're going to hang out, and I'm going to ask you guys some questions. Dave, we're going to start with you. Um, this, is, this is not Dave. This is Dave, just to let you know. So this is Darcy. So Dave, uh, if you wouldn't mind telling anybody, uh, how long have you been a Christian? Um, I've actually only been a Christian since August of last year. Wow, okay. Um, and uh, how did that happen? What was the process? Well, uh, and it's funny, this series is, is interesting to me because um, my first appearance of what Christianity was about was kind of a message of hatred and judgment and uh, kind of sent me running. So uh, for 10 years, I spent uh, my time as an atheist, and not just an atheist, but a very outspoken, um, kind of militant atheist. And uh, slowly, I built up relationships here and there, and I... Uh, you know, people took the time to get to know me and my friend, Samantha Larson. She just simply let me know I was more than welcome to join her at church. Um, so, you know, we kind of went through it for a while and it took me about five weeks before I actually did come. And it was the message I needed to hear. Um, so uh, stepping in, I, you know, on August 13th, I was an atheist. And on August 14th, I was a Christian. Um, and it completely changed my life. Isn't that cool? Hey, that's awesome. And, and, and Dave, Dave shared this the first service that uh, Samantha was his realtor. And what's so cool about that is Samantha, you know, she had, I mean, God used her in not a, she wasn't a preacher or a pastor, but God used her to be able to bring somebody like Dave and just invite him to church where he gave his heart and his life to Jesus. Now, what's so cool about that? Uh, you said the 14th, you become a Christian. Um, what, I, I, I mean, uh, you're serving now. Um, wh- how long did it take you to start serving? Uh, it took me about two weeks. Um, <laughs> it, was, it was easy for me because God placed it in my heart that if uh, this place could change a person like me, uh, then this place is changing lives, and I needed to get involved. Not that I had to. I didn't feel obligated um, but it's what I wanted to do. Mm. Um, and, and you're right. It, it instantly took me from, you know, being a Christian to growing a faith. And, um, you know, it's curious about timing because the first series was uh, labels, and that's how I learned that, you know, God was real. Um, and then the next series we did, Eat This Book, mm-hmm. um, which got me reading the Bible. Mm-hmm. So, like, for the first, like, three months of me being a Christian, we've literally gone through all the steps that we've talked in the series. That's awesome. That's cool. Now, here's what I want to tell you. Dave is a good friend of mine. We were hanging out last night um, playing Texas Hold'em because that's what us preachers do. <clears throat> Just saying. So, for some of you Southern Baptist friends that are offended, I apologize. Um, but, Dave, let's talk. By the way, listen, Dave, what do you want to do with your life now? Um, about six months ago, or actually close to eight months ago, I kind of realized that all the... Uh, all the areas that God, you know, the gifts that God gave me, what my abilities are, um, pointed me straight to being a pastor. So I'm actually back in school and working towards a bachelor so I can go to seminary. Isn't that cool? <laughs> and, and you've been a Christian for about a year through this, all right? Yeah, a little over a year. Uh, that's just, uh, ain't that quick. All right, now here's what I want to talk about this. Some of you, you, you know, you may have given your heart and your life to Christ years ago, and you're, you're just like, man, I just, I don't think I know enough. I don't think I can make a difference. 
Let me show you just how much of a difference Dave is making. Um, if you would mind, give the a microphone to Darcy. Here's what we're going to do. is I'm going to ask Dave, before you start stripping, I'm going to ask Dave, um, I'm going to read all of the ministries that he's involved in. As, as I do that, he's going to take off a layer of clothing. Just to let you know, his pants are going to stay on. <coughs> it's getting awkward. All right, moving on. All right, Dave right now, he's involved on the setup team. He gets here every morning at 6 o'clock or earlier to help set up uh, these environments. Uh, Dave also pulls the trailer uh, that our children's ministry, all of those children's ministry environments in the gym, uh, we have to uh, put that in a trailer. He's also on the, he's also on the teardown uh, team, uh, which means he's here 6 o'clock in the morning, he stays for two services, and then here in a minute, he's going to be tearing down. You're going to see him kind of push stuff out of the way. Let me tell you also, uh, he serves as a starting point facilitator. What starting point is, is a class that we do on Sunday mornings that people who know nothing about Jesus or the Bible can come and ask any question they might have. And what it does, it puts all of the dots together, all the jigsaw pieces together, so that people can understand, oh, this is how the Bible fits together. By the way, uh, he's a starting point facilitator. Darcy's a starting point facilitator, and we had a starting point class at 9 o'clock this morning, which means starting point was hurting. Just saying. Dave is also, uh, he's a, um, he, uh, he co-leads a community group uh, with Sam and Dave Larson, um, who invited, Chris Larson, Dave, dear Jesus, Sam and Chris Larson, and by the way, that's the couple that invited him to church, all right? And by the way, Chris, since I messed up his name, he, he's here every Sunday morning on the setup team as well. Another thing that Dave does is he recently got involved in our student ministry, and he is an eighth grade small group leader for eighth grade boys. In fact, my son Walt uh, is in his group. And what's so cool about Dave is Dave is texting him regularly. Hey, are you reading your Bible? Are you reading the New Testament? They're doing a New Testament challenge right now. And lastly, Dave is a greeter. Now, the, uh, how many shirts was that? Uh, seven. Six seven. I took off one and keep them on. All right, so. <laughs> uh, seven shirts. Go ahead and give that microphone back to you. How does it feel now to have all that off of you? Uh, it feels amazing. I. You know, don't get me wrong, it's the joy I get from serving that keeps me serving, and I'm a little stingy, you know, I do all these because I want to, and I want to fill in those, you know, those gaps whenever I see one, um, but at the same time, you know, there are mornings I would rather sleep in, you know, it <laughs> uh, feels good to have that weight off. Yeah, after a while, I mean, if you, he, he's actually, he's gotten really skinny, but when he was looking, he kind of looked like the Stay Puff Marshmallow dude, because <laughs> all of the... All that clothing. See, that's my issue. I have like 20 layers of clothing on right now. <laughs> All right, D Darcy, let's, let's go to you. I'll tell you a little bit about Darcy. Darcy is one of those ladies who is just contagious. Her, her, her smile, she's always smiling. You know, she can have the worst day in the world, and I've been around her in some of those areas where she's had bad, day, bad days, and that's, she's still smiling. Uh, Darcy is involved with Starting Point. And uh, Darcy is also involved with our K through fifth grade through our one-way street, uh, hang, uh, teaching our children. And what's so cool, these two guys represent uh, really all three of my children. He's teaching my son Walt, my oldest one, and Darcy has taught my two youngest ones. So I am very, very thankful uh, to these two folks. Darcy wrote me and Kim an email a couple of months ago just to encourage us because that's what she does. She's an encourager. So I, I asked Darcy if she wouldn't mind to just come out and, and read the email to us. It, it, keep on going. 
And the Lord has put some things on my mind that I'd like to share with the both of you. My parents were pastors as well, and I know it can be difficult at times. When I came to this church, I was in a state of great sorrow over losing my father. I could no longer attend the church he pastored, and I was looking for a home. From the moment I walked in the door of one church and was greeted, I just knew that I was home. I can tell you who greeted me and everyone that talked with me. I felt happiness and joy from those greeters, and it grabbed me. I remember the service where you had the volunteers come up on stage. I had never felt so inspired to serve. I'm very glad that I took the plunge and got involved in children's ministry. My life has been so blessed. God has taught me so much and given me so much since I've started serving. My home life has been blessed as well. My family has become so connected to the church, and I'm proud to say that my husband and my son are both helping me with my first grade class. What an answer to prayer. My family is connected. We can inspire kids to be life changers. What I'm trying to say is that all of this works, I know, because it worked on me. Isn't that cool? Man. I'm telling you. And what's so cool about this is, is I kind of wrap this up. Um, uh, many of you could say, well, you know what, the reason why he's preaching this sermon is because they need help. They need help in babies, they need help in set up, and they need help. And you know what, I, I would be lying to say we, we, we do need help. But really the driving force behind this really has nothing to do with what we want from you. It has everything to do with what we want for you. Because if you would ask Darcy, because she just said it, you would ask Dave, hey, has it been worth it? Has the sacrifices been worth it? And there are sometimes, yes, we don't want to show up. I'm the preacher. There are sometimes I don't want to show up, right? There just is. I'm, I'll be honest with you. But you know what? It's that time. Imagine being on the setup team on August the 14th of last year, and you saw, and, and you, you were setting everything up, and you didn't know that God was going to call a guy to become a fully devoted follower of Jesus, who God would eventually get him start serving, and now is going to become a preacher. Isn't that amazing? But let me tell you, your sacrifice and your serve makes a difference. And some of you, I really think the biggest um, part of your spiritual life and walk that's missing, maybe the reason why your spiritual walk is growing stale, is because many of you aren't serving. And I'm just going to throw this out here. If you don't like what we do, go to another church and serve. It's not about us. It is about you and what God is going to use to grow your faith. So I just, if y'all would one more time, help me thank them. Thank you guys. You guys are awesome. Thank you very, very much. As we close, I'm going to say this. Our goal is for one person to do one job. You know, um, you saw Dave, and he has like 10 shirts on. And it feels good to not have all those shirts on. It's our goal for every person to do one thing of ministry. And you know what? One of the things that I'm going to invite you to do as we close, I'm going to do two things of application. The first one is this. As you walk out these doors, there are two red tables out there right, right beside the iPad kiosk. If you would... Take, there's a little, um, little card that says, get off the bench and join the team. 
And I am going to challenge you to get off the sidelines, to get off the bench, and to join a team. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to choose two places you would like to serve. All right? Now, the reason why I'm asking two is there may be some that are full. All right? But what we're asking and what we need is we need 100 people, you guys, to say, you know what? I don't know enough. I'm not church material. I'm not seminary trained. I don't know what I'm doing. But you know what? I'm willing to just step in and see what God does. And even though I don't have it all together and I got a past, I'm willing for God to use me. So I'm going to challenge you. If that's you, I want you to go out these doors once after we take the offering, and you can get one of those cards, you fill it out, and you drop it in there, and we're going to be contacting you this week. Now, another way that we can apply this as well, second way, is immediately after this service, we're doing something called Next. And normally we have other people lead next. I am going to be leading next today. And what you'll see the signs. We're going to be in the drama room. You can follow the signs. But I'm going to, in about 15 minutes, I'm going to show you if you have any questions about where to serve or how that all fits together or how everything. I'm just going to answer your questions. And my goal for you is for you to take a step or to join a team. Take a step. You take a step spiritually. Where you know what? I am going to get baptized. I'm going to get into a community group. I am going to go to starting point. Whatever that step is, or I'm going to join a team. I'm, I'm. You know what? I don't have anything to offer, but I can be a greeter. I can hold a door. I can go. Right? Some of you, I know you're from different counties in Arkansas, and you don't have teeth. That's fine. If you, you see that. Some of y'all, I thought y'all were getting ready to walk up and leave. I'm from Arkansas, people. All right. I mean, if you, if, if you don't have, you can, you, can, you can rock a baby. You can help with set up at six in the morning. You can help with tear down. All right. You can help with children's check-in. There is a hundred different things that, you know what, you, have, you, you don't have to know nothing about the Bible. But you can say, you know what, God can use me. And you know what? He will. He will use you. But all you got to do is say, you know what? I'm available. 